This is Spade Spoon Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith, from seed to spade to spoon. Hi, I'm Brian Sellers-Peterson, and I'm coming to you today from Sacramento, California, because I'm visiting agrarian and food ministries throughout the Diocese of Northern California. Normally, I'd be at home in Roslyn, Washington, but decided I'd come down here to do the podcast today. I'm Jennifer Baskerville-Burroughs, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis, and I am so excited for this podcast because like most of these podcasts that we do here at uh, SSSS, we get to talk with friends and friends who we've known a long time and friends who are longer standing and dear. And today I'm delighted to welcome my friend and colleague, Bishop Kim Lucas, who is the Bishop of the Episcopal Church, the Diocese of Colorado. And I am so excited because um, having a conversation about food is something that Kim and I often do when we're together. And now, we hope to dig a little deeper and are delighted that you all can kind of listen in for the ride. So um, Bishop Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am very excited to be with you. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, you know what? I'm going to just sit back and enjoy the two of you chatting. We're just going to let this become a, an Episcopal uh, a conversation and um, between two friends. So Jennifer, over to you and I'll come back and cut you guys off a little later. Um, uh, so um, have fun. Great. Thanks, Brian. And so Bishop Kim, what we alluded in the warm-up a bit to how this podcast format's a little bit different, but one of the ways that we like to enter into the conversation is to ask about where you are, where your what roots you, where are you rooted? So that's meant to kind of ask about where are you right now geographically? How would you describe the place where you're moving and living and having your being right now? Well, thanks. I am the Bishop of Colorado. And so I'm coming to you from Denver, Colorado, where it's a beautiful sunny day and a blue sky. And um, part of the joy of my work is I get to travel all over this diocese, which is 104,000 square miles of amazing territory and great food. Um, one of the things that I love about Colorado culture is there is this culture of craft. There are these small artisans who work on beer and they specialize not just in beer. You know, there are people who specialize in sour beers and there are people who specialize in IPAs and there are places that specialize in cheese. I mean, there, there's all of this sort of craft work attention, especially around food that is fabulous. And it's it's really a joy to interact with it and to explore it. Even in my small mountain towns, there are these little cafes that are doing amazing farm to table food. And so that is something that I delight in here. And so um, being from the South where food is how you love people, um, it, it is really a thrill for me to be able to to explore the food options here in Colorado and the attention to detail that people bring to their craft. Oh, I love that. And can I just tell you, I, I, I hope for those who are listening to the podcast, you may be I'm getting all these notifications of text messages and they're going off as dings. I don't know if you're hearing that. One just happened there. So maybe you didn't hear it, but let me just tell you what's happening. I am getting photographs of from friends who are in Denver right now, sending me pictures of their food. And I can't tell them to stop because I don't, I don't know how to make them stop texting me all of these pictures. 
literally from you, where you are right now. So it's a, uh, they're from Indianapolis and are on spring break vacation out there. And I'm, and I'm, I'm like thinking about how soon I could get to Denver to take a trip and eat at these places where these pictures are coming from at this very minute. So um, the food scene there is no joke, as you mentioned. And the phrase you just used about uh, food is love and all of that. Tell me about how that manifests itself with your current ministry as bishop. I mean, is there a way that those come together for you? Um, I think so. You know, one of the things that we gave up in this time of COVID was, was that place of hospitality that I think as Episcopalians, we do really well. At least my children, all four of them will tell you uh, coffee hours at Episcopal church at least the ones they've been associated with are exemplary. And they're really times of food and fellowship. And that is something that I have really appreciated um, in my time as bishop. And just the kind of love that's shown, I have a lot of dietary uh, restrictions. I, I cannot have gluten. I cannot have cow dairy. And the way congregations rose to the task of making me feel welcomed and making food available for me has been astounding. I've just been blown away by not only the generosity, but the carefulness and the thoughtfulness that people have brought to it and the good food. I mean, folks here really value good food and, and they, they bring their A game all the time. And so I really do think that that is just such a powerful witness as a person who came back to church because I was offered pizza at my university Episcopal fellowship. Um, the power of food uh, to, to, to make people feel welcome uh, is, is inestimable. Well, there is a lot there. And I, I love to hear about how folks who you care for are caring for you and making sure that, you know, you're, you're, you may not be the only person with gluten issues, but the fact that, again, the way you show you love and care is that you take the time to find out about those needs and then to make sure that folks can eat as comfortably, deliciously, nutritiously as everybody else. And um, in our as our food culture has shifted, that takes some effort. So um, kudos to them for the ways they've done that. They really have. I have to tell you about this little church oh, yeah, in Custer County. St. Luke's Westcliff is a tiny church, mostly uh, retirees. But on my visitation, which was one of the last ones I did before we went into COVID shutdown, I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. But I knew this is a congregation that um, has made a part of its ministry feeding folks. They they have a pack, backpack ministry. They care for the hungry uh, in Custer County. And Custer County, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a place where there's the hugest disparity between the rich and the poor one of the places of, of huge disparity. And this little church is doing their part. But I showed up for my visitation and I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but they had done an entire luncheon of gluten-free, amazing food. They had ground nut stew. They had made a chocolate avocado pie, which is the best chocolate avocado pie I've ever had with a gluten-free crust. I mean, they went above and beyond any expectations I might have had. Um, and I cannot really express, I tried to them or to you, how powerful and welcoming that was to just have folks say, we're going to feed you and we're going to make sure you can enjoy everything we have. So 
are you collecting recipes along the way? I mean, avocado pie sounds like something I'd want to have the recipe for. I should be. I'm gonna. I'm scheduled to go back to Westcliff. I'm definitely gonna ask for that recipe. That sounds great. And so it sounds like even in doing something like that, everyone's being stretched a little bit in in some beautiful ways because it takes again some effort to learn to find those kinds of foods and um, and perhaps learn new ways of of eating that folks will carry with them even when you're not around, right? Like that's exactly, kind exactly. Of a, a beautiful gift. So when you're cooking, what do you, what do you have to cook? What is your when you're in well, the kitchen and you're having a bit of time? What do you do? Well, it's so funny. I always tell people my husband is the chef in the family, but I'm the comfort food person. So I'm the one that makes uh, all of the kind of old dishes from my childhood that my kids love. So I made uh, taco pie the other day, which of course I, I made my own by adding zucchini and carrots and other vegetables into the base, but it's basically a uh, we did it with elk. And so we spiced it with taco seasonings and we added the vegetables. And then I made a gluten-free cornbread mix that I poured over the top um, with goat cheese and baked it. And those those are the kind of comfort foods that my kids uh, have come to expect from me. So when they want me to cook, they they want me to cook um, Salisbury steak, or they want me to cook um, enchiladas, or they want me to cook sort of taco pie, sort of like these basic recipes that I grew up with that I try to uh, make a little bit more healthy. But those are the things that they they want from mom. So I'm laughing over here because I'm thinking you described taco. You said the word taco pie and I had an image. And then it reminds me of folks who go in the comments of the New York Times cooking site where they take the recipe and then they said, but I added all these other ingredients. So you're, you know, taco, taco pie is not on the surface of it like a healthy but you throw in a whole bunch of vegetables and some goat cheese and I'm like oh you kind of elevated it up a little bit that's <laughs> I would eat that that sounds fantastic <laughs> my goodness so um so your kids do they do they have the same kind of dietary needs or are you able to just like everyone's eating the same so you don't have to do separate meals the way I sometimes have to in our house well one of my kids is is uh, gluten intolerant and two of them are cow dairy intolerant. So we have, my husband and I had to sort of finagle our, our eating. You know, I had to learn how to make macaroni and cheese from scratch because I had to make it with uh, goat products so that my kids could eat it. So um, we made our habit to, to eat together as a family. And my husband says there's going to be one dinner cooked. And if you don't want that, there's always peanut butter and jelly or almond butter and jelly, whatever you're interested in. And so I, I have to say, I don't consider myself a, an excellent parent by any means, but one of the things that we did try to gift our children is a sense of adventure when it comes to food um, and a sense of, of eating well and, and um, eating balanced meals. And making it taste good. And so my 14 year olds are now uh, in the kitchen puttering around trying to figure out how to, to cook and to, to create good food. So I'm pretty excited about that. And so for those of you who may not know, Bishop Kim and I share a thing in common with a few other bishops in that we have still young children at home. And the life of a bishop is one that is intense travel 
meetings a lot of evenings often during the week, certainly the weekends. And so it is no small feat to commit to having really nutritious food on the table and just sitting down as a family. That's something we try to do as well. And I think in that way, there are a lot of people who who can identify with that struggle and what it takes to honor the the feast that you can have when you can gather together, even over a simple meal, but to make the time when everyone is just pulled to and fro, um, like the average family is struggling with that. So I appreciate how you model that and talk about it in this space. It's not easy. It isn't. But my husband and I really realized um, when our older two, who are both in college now, they uh, would bring friends over and their friends were sort of shocked that we would eat together. And sometimes that meant we ate late, like we didn't eat till eight o'clock, but we were committed to eating together. And I realized that for a lot of their friends, they, they hadn't had that experience of just being welcome at the table and having people welcome them to that. And so one of the things Mark and I are committed to, and we've let our children know, is that we we know that there are people who are food insecure. And if anybody is over uh, and dinner is being served, there's always another plate at the table. So we make that a priority. Wonderful. So that talking about food security, can you tell us a little bit about some of the food ministries and things that you're excited about that are happening in the Diocese of Colorado? Yes, uh, happy to. Uh, like I said, I'm really excited about the folks at uh, St. Luke's and Westcliff. They're doing an amazing job. Uh, I have a church in Leadville, Colorado, which is a mountain town at about 10,000 feet and um, a small congregation with a mighty big heart that have made feeding others uh, a part of their identity and who they are. And so they not only have turned their nave into a food pantry, they also have a bus, a mobile food pantry that they drive out to more remote locations so that people can have access to the things that they have. Um, And they are doing an amazing job. They are a mainstay in their community and feeding folks. And that's really powerful to me. So those are those are the uh, two wonderful. I would point out. But we have we have a lot of folks doing really good work. There's a little church up in Windsor, which is in Wild County, and they just basically have a mobile food uh, a food closet. So they put food in, and then folks just come and pick up what they need. And they're you know they don't have to talk to anybody. They can just take what they have. And as prices are going up and and families are struggling, I think these ministries, while they're not even going to solve all the problems, they are a little bulwark against the struggle. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. I think, um, you know, the bigger systems that keep people food insecure are really hard to tackle, but it's the, the ways we show up in the meantime that can make the difference between someone surviving or not. And um, I can't remember whether I, when I first heard this, it may have been through, um, of the Black Panthers back in the day talking about how to provide breakfast and lunch for children as part of what they were doing. And um, it was seen as this revolutionary act. And the idea was that to withhold um, food from children or from people is to consign them to death. And so Mm. those of us who don't have those food insecurities forget that it will act, it can actually make the difference between someone having enough brain power to make it through the day or or maybe not having any food for a while and um it's not an insignificant thing to have a 
mobile food unit or a blessing box with food that people could take makes a big difference. One of the questions we like to talk about, uh, again, gets to, to cooking. And I know that Mark does a lot of the cooking. And so you've described a lot of meals that uh, are ones that your children like, but like, what is your favorite meal? What is the one that makes you go, that just makes you sigh with comfort when it comes to you? What do you think? Oh my goodness. My husband will tell you, I am a soup person. So whether it's chili or Vietnamese pho or um, any sort of concoction that my husband wants to make for soup, I I could eat soup any time of the year. Soup is really such a comfort thing for me. And, and there's something about having soup and, 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 and bread that is home to me. I mean, that is just kind of home. And so I've gotten good at uh, making uh, my own dashi so I can make ramen soup for my kids. And I think they as well like, like soup, but that is, that is the one dish. If, if you have some sort of soup, I'm there for it. So um, soup is one of those things that I, I, in my mind, it slows one down, right? Like to make a really good soup, you have to have a little bit of patience and time yes. and like think about dashi. like I've never made ramen because I'm like oh I need 24 hours <laughs> to do it right well right. I will say as the mama for the instant pot <laughs> is helpful in that regard so oh, I can cut gosh. it down to yes. about a couple hours but between all the chopping and the making I'm very grateful for the for the instant pot but it is it is one of those yeah. things that you have to slow down you can't eat it fast you have to 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 take time and Everybody gets to doctor it their own way. Like my, one of my twins always puts his bread. It doesn't matter if it's cornbread or whatever. He always puts that somewhere in the soup if there are no noodles involved. Um, but it's just one of those things that for me is always comforting and assuring. That's wonderful. So can I ask, can I go back to something you mentioned earlier, um, which may not have caught everyone's ear, but um, I was delighted to pick up from a priest who goes hunting uh, a whole cooler full of venison and so I've, we've have stocked our our <laughs> our stand-up freezer for the for the year um but you mentioned elk and I love elk it is not something I can find easily here in Indianapolis <laughs> so can you tell me about the like you're a source of elk and is that something you've you've eaten for a long time or is that a part of your move to to Colorado Growing up, we we had venison because you know my family hunted, and so we that was our primary. Um, in a lot of ways, my grandmother's sort of primary source of meat. We didn't have a lot of beef, but we did eat a lot of venison. So I love venison. And when I moved to Colorado, I uh, learned that it's really easy to find uh, bison and elk at at our local store, and we tried the elk, and the kids declared they liked it better than venison. So we we sort of stick with that. And that's one really another one of the great things about being out here. We do have access to elk and bison in ways that my kids didn't have access to when we lived on the East Coast. So um, we've delighted in that. Well, it's funny because I, I came to love elk and bison in upstate New York, where there's just land, you know, it's the, I mean, these great bison producers with lots of land to let the bison roam. And then there was an elk farm, but I don't think I've since moving to the Midwest, I've encountered it much. And so when I think about Colorado, that's another big landscape. And I'm wondering, do you have 
are there members of your congregations who are farming some of these animals or is it just, I know you can get it commercially or at the market, but do you have um, big animal husbandry and farmer types who are members of your churches? We, we have a fair number of ranchers, um, and for the uh-huh. most part, a lot of them are, are uh, cattle ranchers. Um, there, there are some that have branched out into um, lamb and uh, goat, um, but I, I, I don't know about sort of folks. Um, I know we have a lot of hunters that, that hunt elk, and we have a lot of elk that, that roam uh, wild here, so we have that. <laughs> So that's the difference, right? I, my, my my limited background is like, we have elk farms in upstate New York, but of course you would hunt them, right? Because they're wild. So that's where I'm I'm still learning a bit um, yeah. about how, you know, various food sources come. But I would imagine there's just lots of, it's a different game entirely in Colorado. We've got all that expansive land and big ranches and things like that. It is. And I, and I, at least for me and my family, one of the conversations that we have is how our food is sourced. My daughter, mm-hmm. uh, who also loves food, applied for a scholarship to go study food resourcing in Italy. And she went to culinary school for a few weeks. And, you know, she came back with this awareness that there is enough for everybody to eat and and an awareness of the ways in which our industrialized food system has has made compromises in the name of quantity, compromises in quality. Um, and so those are conversations that we actually have around our table about how we commit ourselves to sustainable food sourcing and how we um, make good decisions on behalf of our environment, because our, 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 our earth is struggling right now. All right. And I think one of the one of the reasons why I got involved with this podcast was that I, I really believe that having those conversations can't begin too early and everyone's on a different food journey, but I think there, there are ways in which we can learn really young how to appreciate where food comes from and to respect the people who produce it and the, the actual animal lives that are given over so that we can eat. And so we began talking about compassionate being compassionate carnivores Mm -hmm. uh, when when our son Timothy was younger because we thought we were going to make some choices about that and what that has led to now is that he has given up chicken which is something we would eat quite often you know we would get it from the farm we had dedicated sources where we would get our where we still do get our meat from but he said you know I'm really concerned about how most chickens are raised and I don't want to be a part of that created this whole website related to chicken sanctuary and we have members of our churches who keep chickens for eggs and so all of a sudden I'm watching him take his own journey of sorting that out and thinking about it but it has changed what we eat in our house <laughs> and um, and it's been just fascinating to help him find his own voice and um, and ethics around that it's important I think as part of being a person of faith too it's 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 a faith issue it's an environmental issue you know absolutely and i i love that sort of compassionate carnivore piece because one of the conversations that we have with our children is that that we eat meat and we understand that that was a sacrifice and we and we give thanks for that sacrifice and that um, my husband is really responsible he's like you know snout to tail you know what what can be um 
used and repurposed and, and consumed. And so for me, that, that is a piece of how we are good stewards of the gifts that we have. And I want my kids to, to understand that, um, piece. And we talked a lot about the plight of meat packers in the pandemic, because I want my kids to know that the food that comes to their table has, has come there through by a long road. And I want them to understand and have respect for that road and to be able to make good decisions of their own. Exactly. Like Timothy is, it's like, I don't, I don't like how chickens are treated. I, I completely understand where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's, <laughs> I just think the children will lead us, you know, so he's making these choices at the age of nine, 10, he's 11 now, but I, I, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, I mean, we had the House of Bishops meeting not too long ago, about a week and a half ago, we were in Camp Allen and um, enjoying the cuisine there in Texas and having other meals. And it reminded me of the House of Bishops meeting in Alaska. And I'm, I'm not sure if we talked about this, Kim, it may have been another table, but we were reminiscing about the 2016 visit to Alaska, where we had a you know, we go to a diocese every couple of years as a house of bishops to do our work. And in that, we went to um, a potlatch where there is the real sacrificial giving over of the moose that this, the village has killed for the, for the whole village to consume. And there's a real ritualistic way in which that animal is honored and the whole animal is, is prepared and cut into the soup. And, um, it's probably an experience I won't soon forget because um, eating moose in that way like is just hard to get my mind around. I mean, they're enormous animals. They feel, I mean, we had a couple hundred people who were all going to be fed from this animal. And the part of the ritual is that as the youngest people serve the elders in this hours-long meal, the, um, the ethic is that you are not allowed to say no thank you. And so it, thank you is the only response as the food is being um, put into your bowl for, to, to, to be eaten as a recognition of the depth of the sacrifice of, uh, of the animal that gave its life, who's connected to us and to creation and to the people who hunted it and, and processed it and prepared it. And it's an offensive thing to not honor it by consuming it or by turning it away, which makes me think Ever since, after having a long time of writing about sustainable agriculture, it really made me think again about the gratitude for the food that we're given to eat and all that it takes to come to our table. That's powerful. And, you know, I I've hope that I've t taught my children that um, it's OK to taste everything. You don't have to like everything, but you you should probably taste everything. And for the most part, they they are pretty open to that. and. Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy that, that if I've done anything right, I've, I've given them an appreciation of world cuisine and hospitality. I think that's a great note for me to interrupt. Um, and and um, I just need to do a little shout out for a previous podcast. Don't you think, Jennifer? Uh, we had with Christian. Absolutely. From the Order of the Cratius, and it's a order of, of Episcopalians and others who harvest fish and game and, and share it. And they do it, you know, in the, as compassionate carnivores and people who are respectful 
of, of creation and uh, they're starting chapters all over the country so christian if you're out there you need to get in touch with the diocese of colorado about uh um, meeting some of their hunters and and fisher fishers so um and then the other takeaway in listening to this i got, I got excited is we need to start developing sort of a recipe page for a spade spoon soul and i think we oh, we need to yeah. i think we need to start out with the chocolate avocado pie from st luke's west cliff and and um uh, kim's uh, taco pie um as as a place to start and then the hundreds of recipes of course that jennifer uh can supply us with you know that's a wrap for Great today idea, Brian. yeah that, thank so, you that, yeah so thank you both for the conversation just so many takeaways and uh, just want to thank everyone for listening in today and we hope you will uh, continue to tune in you can find us on apple and spotify and even the the tech casts of the episcopal church or email us at spade spoon soul podcast at gmail.com if you've got any episode ideas or uh, any comments any way to help us and i want to thank our uh, producer derek weston uh, who is a part of the food and faith podcast but who also happens to be a, a presbyterian pastor a community organizer a urban farmer and a filmmaker and really helps pull all the good stuff together doesn't end also thanks to jay sidebotham who's our our artist and and ryan lee uh, who provides the wonderful music that brings us in and takes us out all right well thanks so much bishop kim thanks friends thank and you next time, thank you we hope this to see you again fun. around the table all right folks um, until next time, we hope that you'll find ways to connect your soul to your spade or your spoon or both. Take good care and be well. <laughs>